0: This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. And that's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers getting ready to take on Georgia Southern on Saturday morning on 11 a.m. kick. I'm sure the place will be packed. Everyone very excited about Georgia Southern coming to town.
1: Uh- <laughs> hey, they're 2 0, Zach. They are.
0: I'm not saying they're a bad team. All I'm saying is I don't think people are overly excited about Georgia Southern coming to town at 11 a.m. kick coming off a loss to Washington state. So I'm saying Uh, either way, either way, we are going to be out tomorrow night at monks in Sun Prairie for temple and high Elpring. Come out and see us. You can also listen on zone Madison. You can find the podcast wherever you are also going to be posting video probably. uh, Well, it depends. Depends what I do at monks. If I have a few drinks, then it probably won't be until Friday morning. If I don't, then it'll probably be Thursday night. But some uh the segments we we'll posting up on our YouTube page, if you didn't know about it and based on uh, some of our uh, podcast numbers, there are new listeners here. So just wanted to make everybody aware we do have a YouTube page. You can watch me and Jesse do this on if that's more your preference. And so, yeah, make sure to check that out. But again, Temple and Heil live from Monks and Sun Prairie 6 to 7 every thursday all right let's get into this jesse had an opportunity to chat with the guys yesterday we got to talk with luke fickle on monday there are a number of topics and a number of ways we can go at this but i think it's probably most important to start with braylon allen because he did not speak after the game on saturday night that game came with him carrying it just seven times the fewest he has in a game that he started he had 20 yards second fewest in a game he started. He did t- touch the ball thirteen times because he got six catches, but those six quick catches went for twelve yards. So it was not an overly explosive day for Braylon Allen. And I know the numbers of guy, uh, numbers of touches that he got, probably not ideal for him. But what was his, what was his mindset like when he had a chance to talk with him on Tuesday?
1: I asked him what his thoughts were after the fact, knowing that he only got seven carries, which is the fewest carries that he's had since he became a, a regular in the rotation two seasons ago and he said that he was disappointed but he was more so disappointed in the fact that Wisconsin didn't win the game he wasn't going to say anything about the staff and his usage rate but he wants to be an impact player which is what he said he'd like to be able to have more of an impact and the other thing is some of those rushing numbers are are mitigated by the receptions but he had the six catches and it only went for 12 yards and I also asked him about that how do you Generate some more out of that, and and I thought it was interesting because he said if you look at what I've done so far, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's essentially been all swing passes and checkdowns. And he said I think I showed in camp that I can affect the game as a pass catcher in a bunch of different ways. I made catches down the field. I can be utilized over the middle, and so I think everybody knows how talented Braylon is, and everybody knows that if you want to win, you've got to have more than seven carries for 20 yards and six catches for, for 12 yards. So it's figuring out ways to affect the game, but we know Washington state also tried to stop the run. It's something that Luke Fickle said on Monday. On the other hand, every team ever has tried to stop the run against Wisconsin for 30 years, and and they've managed to have some success in in a lot of those situations. So I think they've got to figure this out because if you want to have success, you got to have a great passing game, but you've got to have that strong running game that we saw in week one.
0: So we hear guys talk, and say the right things all the time but what was what kind of vibe did he give you
1: I didn't get sort of the negative I know we're we're trying to parse out body language and things like that but these are the only opportunities that we have to be around these guys I mean I can remember late last season right after the whole the the, the message board post about Braylon and Michigan and then um I think we talked to him the Monday after. We talked to him after that game. I think it was the Iowa game. But we also talked to him the Monday after. And you just kind of got this sense that that whole season had... It was rough on everybody. But that was a a very difficult week for him. Kind of downbeat a little bit. I didn't get that sense at all from Braylon. I I thought he he was upbeat. He was willing to answer questions. He was very thoughtful. And I do think that these guys believe it's going to come together. There's a lot of optimism may be hard to see from fans after what happened on Saturday, but I think he is ready to show everything he's got in the tool bag, if you will.
0: And you got that vibe from all the players, you think?
1: I really did. I'll be honest. Um, and even, even Tanner Mordecai, and I know we've said here the last couple of weeks, Tanner is somebody who would be just fine if he probably didn't have to talk to us. He's all about the ball. But I think he gave some really good answers and his confidence is, this is another topic we could discuss, but, I was asking them how close, the guys on offense, how close are they to being the offense they believe they can? And he gave a very good answer that he said, I, I think we're close and we can feel it, we can smell it. And it feels like this group is ready to, to break out. And he said, maybe it could be this week against Georgia, Georgia Southern. I certainly, if you're a fan, you would hope of all weeks, this would be one of those weeks. But I do think this group early in this season, based on having been around them, they they appear to be very optimistic and very upbeat, despite the fact they're coming off a tough loss.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because you're right. You only get to spend so much time around them. So you don't know exactly how they're feeling away from the the spotlight. But I think that probably goes back. And again, I'm not saying it's right. and not saying it's wrong. I'm going to do my little Luke fickle thing here. I'm not saying it's better. It's not, I'm not saying it's worse. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but, it it feels like because of the way the coaching staff goes about it, the way the program goes about it, keeping the energy up is is paramount, and to keep guys locked in is much needed, and I think that is probably a strength of this staff. And I guess we'll see what happens on Saturday. I have I have no idea, but I I think I, I go back to what Jake Cheney said after the game, down twenty four to six or twenty four to nine, are they coming back? from that in in prior years and making it a game. I I'm, I'm not sure they are. So it's it's not that they quit ever before. I just don't know if they had the mindset to go back and hey, it's okay, we're fine, we're going to we're going to get back in this game and I thought that they did have that mindset on Saturday night and it sounds like they kind of felt that they are uh, that what they're saying is not just lip service.
1: Yeah, and I think another thing to consider is that there is still so much newness to this. This group has only played two games together. I, I think they're still learning what works and what doesn't and adjusting to the scheme. And if you go back to, to even last year when everything was spiraling out of control, that felt, and I think we can acknowledge, it was a situation where like Jack Nelson has said this on multiple times in the last, uh, you know, eight or nine months, like there, it felt like you were kind of banging your head against a wall and going back to the well and doing the same thing. Like they have been doing that for so long and it wasn't working. And to me, this is such a different situation where, you're still learning. It's still very new. And if something doesn't work for one game, that's not indicative of the way the entire season is going to go. And so I feel like that is reflective of the behavior we're seeing from guys when they come out to talk to us.
0: So Braylon Allen, he's still on pace for about 85 catches. Do we, do oh, we yeah. think he gets there?
1: He went up actually, right? Oh no, he no, had seven. No. He, he was at,
0: he was at 91. Now he's at 84.
1: Yeah. my I wasn't a math major, but six and a half a game is pretty good.
0: Do you think he's gonna? You think he's gonna break Brian Calhoun's record?
1: I do. I also <laughs> he's gonna get more than 150 yards receiving. They're gonna have to figure out some ways to. And I I understand that Phil Longo views this as a, it's a you get the ball out in space to good athletes, and it's almost like, it's almost like a rushing attempt. I mean, you're throwing him the ball behind the line of scrimmage in some of these cases, or right at there, but gotta. I mean, two yards isn't gonna cut it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's on. on pace for 84 catches for 160 yards it's not exactly probably what they had in mind when they when they got into that but again it's it's part of the offense and you mentioned it there a little bit you're going to be writing a story about it the offense not being that far away from clicking and I kind of said this before we went on the air it sounds like the guys felt this too is kind of marry what went well and the opener against Buffalo and what went well against Washington State, put that together, and you have to feel at least somewhat confident that you can reach where they think they
1: want to be. That's exactly what Chimray DK said. You look at the first game, they had 312 yards rushing. And so most of the badgers that had in a game in two years, but the passing game wasn't in terms of especially big plays, explosive plays, wasn't what the Badgers would have wanted it. And then in game two, I think Tanner Mordecai afforded himself very well. Yeah, he lost two fumbles, but his left tackle got beat. And I don't put that on Mordecai. He showed great demeanor in the second half. Um, I mean, I think it'd be very easy for a quarterback. You lo- you lose a fumble in the end zone. You go down 24 to six, everybody folds up shop, but that third quarter, they had two touchdown drives, but the running game just, it wasn't there. It was virtually non-existent. So can you figure out a way where Tanner Mordecai is clicking with his wide receivers, but you've got a really sound run game. I know Phil Longo is his philosophy is you take what the defense gives you, but, You got to be able to merge the two. And then I think this group can be successful. It is interesting, though, about trying to consider, well, how far away are they actually? It's easy to say we're really close. And I asked Luke Fickle the same question on Monday, and that's exactly what he said. I wouldn't expect anybody to say, well, we're so far away, we're going to be terrible on offense this year. But I do wonder exactly how close they are um, to getting it all right. And I think it's going to take a little bit of time, even though fans may not want to hear that.
0: For sure. Going to the turnover aspect of this with, with Tanner Mordecai, I think that was one of my biggest questions coming in. Could he – you know, we talked about it in the offseason, the, the interceptions. Where where do you stand when it comes to the the turnovers that he's been charged with, right? he's He's got four turnovers through two games. And I've seen certain people try and pull numbers out of thin air to compare that to Graham Mertz, who – averaged one point something a game and now tanner mordecai is averaging two something uh, a game it feels it feels a little disingenuous to put those numbers together and it feels a little wrong to do it trying to compare two games to 25 games in terms you know in terms of the last two years i feel like it's extremely extremely early for anyone to try and draw conclusions to uh to tanner mordecai's numbers in that respect
1: a hundred percent agree i i i think i feel better after watching the Washington state game about, and this is more throwing it down the field and, and not getting picked off. Cause we saw what happened in in week one, like when it was off the tar off target, which you don't want to be, I think about the couple passes late in the game to Bryson green. Um, you want to have, you want to give him a chance, but it wasn't like, wow, that was a horribly underthrown wobbly pass and the defense dropped a sure interception. I think he did a very good job in that regard of, of, not putting himself in a bad situation when he threw the ball. Obviously he had the two lost fumbles, but if your left tackle is going to get beat like that and that's your blind side sure you need to have awareness as a quarterback, but there's not much time and if someone's going to have a clear shot on you, it's it's difficult for me to put that on the quarterback. So I don't look at it and say, "Oh, he's averaging two turnovers a game. This is a turnover machine." I, I actually have more confidence coming out of that that he'll be able to generally take care of the ball and at least give Wisconsin opportunities
0: yeah, I'm trying to think back the number of interceptable passes, I don't even know if that's the word interceptable, uh, but uh, passes that potentially could have been intercepted by Washington State. And in my mind, I could think of only one and it was the the back shoulder he tried to throw to Chimray down the left side, and the guy got his hands on it. I think that was in the I think that was in the fourth quarter. There weren't too many opportunities for guys to get their hands on balls on on Saturday it was either an, it was almost always. Overthrown as opposed to underthrown, and I—that's certainly what you want. And a lot of those balls hit wide receivers' hands. Not—not that they would have been easy catches by by any stretch, but there were they were at least right there, potentially potentially to make a play. I think that's going to continue to get better and better. I think they're going to be able to. I do think they're going to be able to hit on them. We saw a couple of them on Saturday night. I think that the deep ball has to be a part of this offense when teams are going to play you the way that Washington State did. They absolutely have to be. And I'm not. You know, you can ask you know were the wide receivers even open I thought a lot of they had steps on guys quite a bit they had steps on guys and so I think there's there's a possibility for this passing game to even ramp up the explosive plays certainly further than what we've seen through these first two games we saw a couple of them but I think there's more to this
1: the other thing is it's it really it comes down to finishing because they had three drives where they moved the ball down the field. Two of them, they got into the red zone. One, they got to the 25, and then they got stuck. And obviously, Nathaniel Vacos came out there and went three for three on field goals in the first half. So it wasn't like this offense was going three and out and was totally ineffective. They were they were doing some good things early. But obviously, when you're trading touchdowns for field goals, you're never going to have a, a chance. So I, I think that's another thing, too, That that at least is a a moderately encouraging sign, but you've got to be able to finish. And that all goes back to this idea of, uh, of being consistent all the way through. Yeah. And I know
0: that some people are pointing towards Phil Longo's red zone offense from last year. And I, I just don't think that, that again, a little too early and it's not, I mean, if you're not able to run the ball, you're going to struggle. I think, I think Wisconsin itself is going to struggle to score if you're not able to run the ball in the red zone, if you're not able to run the ball any anywhere in the game, you're going to, you're going to struggle to score in the red zone and try and finish drives. I think that's just what it is. And so we'll see, we'll see if that continues to be an issue. Saturday obviously was huge. Cause you're just trying to trade touchdowns for field goals and it's not going to work out in your favor. Uh, one thing before we move on, cause I want to talk about turnovers on defense. They're the lack of, and I know we talked about that a little bit, but I know you wrote about it. Um, are you at all surprised that we have not seen Keontez Lewis on the field at any point Saturday night and, you know, really only until the game was out of question against Buffalo?
1: I am, but I'm also basing that on what we saw during the preseason practices that were open to us when we were watching and there were, I believe nine open practices, eight of them were the first eight practices. And then there was, one open practice on a scrimmage day about two weeks before the the season opener, he was part of what essentially was a six player rotation at wide receiver. Um, so he he was on the left side where Chimre DK was, and then Bryson Green and, and CJ Williams were on the right side. And then you had Will Pauling and, and Skylar Bell in the slot with a little bit of Vinny Anthony. But at that, that point I didn't have reason to believe that there was such a stark drop-off, at least in the coaching staff's mind, between whatever the top five was and where Keontez was. And maybe some of that has to do with this. If we put him on the field and that means we don't have Chimray on the field. Although you can obviously shuffle some things around and, and put him on the other side, but then you wouldn't have a Bryson green and we saw some of that big play potential. So I, we, we, I haven't had a chance really to ask about this. Um, but I'd be certainly curious to know what the thought process was because wide receivers coach, Mike Brown has said all along that ideally he would love to have six wide receivers. Now he's also been honest and said that just because you want to have six doesn't mean you're going to play that many. But I think what Keontez did on the field last season showed that he can be a deep threat and he had multiple uh, moments in practice, whether it was the the spring or the preseason where you saw some of that ability. So I am definitely surprised to see the way that his snap count has uh, decreased here early this season.
0: It's not night and day in terms of the speed, but he is, based on their off-season workouts, the fastest guy in that room. You know, the the whole speed club that Brady Collins would put out. And I know maybe they – well, I shouldn't say fastest Pauling. guy in the room. Based on the – what's up?
1: Bill Polling's the fastest guy uh, maybe ever of all time.
0: He's fast, but you go and go back and look at the spring and those those mile per hours, and nobody topped nobody topped, uh, Keontez Lewis in the spring. Now I know they ran 40s in the in uh, fall, and you had a chance when you went to, what was that squat day or squat fest, that he kind of talked about some of the guys 40 numbers uh, Brady Collins did, but he's got he's got some speed, he's got the ability to go over the top, but again I don't think that that was necessarily an issue for them on Saturday night, they had steps on guys and they just weren't, they were just a little bit off. Now, maybe if you had an extra two tenths of a mile per hour, either two tenths of a mile per hour faster, maybe that ball is just falling right in the hands. I don't know. But I I also will say this, uh, it it appeared based on, and maybe this is just because of the guys that were going to be out there, but against Buffalo, Keontes was on the side where Bryson green and CJ Williams are. He was not on the left side. On the left side was Quincy Burroughs, you know, where Chimray DK is when it's the first-team offense. And then on, if you go back to Saturday night, we saw rotation at, you know, between Schuyler Bell and Will Pauling. We saw the rotation between and Green and C.J. Williams. Vinny Anthony even got some snaps in the slot. Chimray, until he got hurt on that final drive, no one else played the left side. Zero. It's not that he played every snap because they – but formationally, anytime there was somebody lined up on the left side, he was the only one. It seems pretty clear to me that they want him on the field as much as possible, yeah. and it's it's not going to be a timeshare arrangement like it is on the right side. Now, does that mean that Bryson Green, or that uh, Keontes Lewis shouldn't get any reps? I, I don't know that. I will say that he was dinged up in practice. We know that he was not a full participant. He talked about that scrimmage two weeks before before uh, the season. He did not take part in that. Um, there was a couple of practices down in Platt, or at least one practice down in Platteville that he was held out of. Um, and so I think that that may have played a role in it, but it, it is a little bit of a surprise that you've seen that or maybe have not seen him involved at all, at all. So again, that is a question that we'd love to ask. Um, and I think that's probably something that's worthwhile asking to Luke Fickle the next time we get a chance to speak with him just because he was, it was thought to be the top six and that was going to be the six and it just hasn't been that way to this point. So, all right, moving on to the turnovers on the defensive side of the ball, Wisconsin has not forced a single one yet. They are uh, minus five in the turnover battle so far this year. It reminds me a little bit of 2021. Now they didn't have nearly, they didn't have zero, but they didn't turn the ball over nearly, or the cost or cause turnovers nearly as much as they probably wanted to and should have. And then they just came in bunches. But I know you wrote about it today. What do the numbers say about this start for Wisconsin?
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned 2021 because I was talking to Jake Cheney about this on Tuesday, and that was the first thing that he went to. And I went back and looked, and they had four turnovers through the first six games. Then they had five turnovers against Purdue, and the floodgates opened, and they finished with 24 turnovers, 24 takeaways. They had like 20 takeaways over the last seven games it was ridiculous um but for this year it is very surprising they've got no turnovers obviously through the first two games you mentioned the minus five in turnover margin the only team in the country that's worse is nebraska at minus six and right now wisconsin's one of only eight teams in the fbs that has yet to force a turnover and historically speaking wisconsin has done a very good job defensively of forcing takeaways and changing momentum of the game the only season uh, that and I went back to looking at box scores all the way to 1995, and before then, it's kind of tough to to find the the box scores. But the only other season dating to that time where Wisconsin went the first two games without a turnover was in 2012, and that team actually went the first three games without forcing a turnover. So some of this is, I mean, yes, it's an anomaly, and I think what's interesting is when I asked Luke Fickle this question on Monday, he pointed out that he queued up the first defensive series. And showed it to the players on sunday and he he showed them that of the first eight plays there were three opportunities for takeaways and to me this speaks to it's a combination there is bad luck involved here absolutely now some would say you make your own luck however uh when a when a center snaps the ball over cameron ward's head it takes one bounce and goes right back to him you can't control that as a defense on the other hand and and that was one of the situations on on those first eight plays I think it was the second snap; it bounced over him, and he ended up able to get rid of it. But there was a third down play; it was like third and thirteen, and Ward threw the ball down into the flat, I think, to Nakia Watson, and Watson was able to pick up twelve yards. This is something that both Fickle talked about and Muma Jongmeta that Nakia had the ball out off to the side, and Muma came in from behind and just wasn't able to get his hand on the ball. Like, that is a takeaway opportunity. Ricardo Hallman, it would have been an amazing interception, but he broke on the ball on third down right before the punt, couldn't come up with the pick. Obviously, there were those situations in the second half backed up in the end zone, which was – it should have been an absolute debacle for Washington State. I don't know how the Badgers didn't manage to get any points, but –
0: It was an absolute disaster. It was the – it. they avoided disaster on almost on three straight plays. Two for sure avoided disaster. Maybe not on the other one, but t- the he, he hands it off to Watson. It pops back up and it pops
1: right back into his hands. It's insane. That's insane. And Nick, yeah, Nakia, I think what it was, he ran right into his right tackle, and the ball came out. And then obviously the other one it snapped over his head again, and Ward looked as nonchalant as you could possibly be for what I I think would be the most stressful situation ever. Just kind of jogged back to the end zone and managed to throw the ball away before he got drilled. So it's a combination, but I think it's it goes to kind of a larger I don't know if issue is the right word, but it comes down to consistency of execution. And Muma talked about this of you know you you want to perform at a consistently high level and that gives you an opportunity on every play to have some success. So I don't want to make too much of like some of those plays against Washington state, but it is noteworthy that you're two games through. You don't have any turnovers. That's extremely unusual for Wisconsin. When Jim Leonard was the defensive coordinator here, they averaged about two takeaways per game. Um, so I think they're pretty confident that it's going to come, but obviously it hasn't yet. And when you can't get even one of those, it makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. And Georgia Southern uh, right now is even in turnover margin. So they've, they've, uh, they've turned it over, but they've also been able to create some as well. Um, so that's, that to me is, it's going to be an interesting one. Um, you know, they have, they've thrown, what is it? They've thrown a couple of picks and had a couple of fumbles. So they're, I feel like you're going to get an opportunity. You're going to have some opportunities this weekend. And maybe this is the weekend that it shifts in Wisconsin's favor uh, we're talking about Washington state here a little bit there was a couple of questions uh, that I didn't get to the other day uh, in terms of Twitter questions and I wanted to ask you about this one because I I think it's an at least an interesting topic to at least think about and I don't necessarily know if I agree with it but I'll get, I want to get your take on it um Mike, actually, actually, as actually, it wasn't a Twitter question, it was a follow up from Monday when we were talking about the strength and how good Washington state actually is. And he said, uh, to add on to your discussion about the quality of Wazoo in yesterday's podcast, do you think Washington, do you think the, uh, the Cougars are the second best team on Wisconsin's schedule? The big 10 West office, the big 10 West is off to a horrible start all around.
1: When all is said and done, it's a distinct possibility. Um, if I, Ohio state clearly number one, yeah. and then, conversation for who's number two Iowa right right initially my thought would have gone to all right well it's that three-game October stretch Illinois Iowa Illinois not so good as as we've said barely beat Toledo lost on the road to Kansas Iowa you expect defensively it to be a consistent battle offensively they are they're falling below the drive for 325 shall we say for for Brian Farron so I think that's a realistic way to look at it um it's just it's almost a little too early for me to say but it should also say something about the strength or perhaps lack thereof of Wisconsin's schedule this season and why despite a loss the badgers should have an opportunity to put some but put themselves in a position to compete for the big 10 west championship
0: i think it's an interesting discussion i think it's a really tough discussion and and tough thing to think about because we don't know how good Washington state actually is. Cause we don't know how good Wisconsin actually is. Um, we know Colorado state, not great, um, but we'll see. I think Washington state, I, I said this on Monday. I think the talent that they had a quarterback, the talent that they have uh in rushing the passer and in the secondary, to be fair, there are, there are some really good players on that team. And I think they have a shot to jump up and surprise some people. Are they on the level of USC? Probably not. Definitely not. But Cam Ward, gives them a really good shot. And again, Wisconsin did a great job against Washington State's offense after the first, what, the first four, four drives. They figured it out. They, they started playing a lot better, got pressure on him, made him try and have to figure things out. And he wasn't as, as good as he was before, but his lack of freak, freaking out, like it's, it's, it's just his complete calm in, in what has to be a storm was so impressive. Was so impressive that he didn't make the horrible, horrible mistake and like throw a ball into coverage that he shouldn't have that maybe he would have the year before. And that's why Wisconsin doesn't have any turnovers. He was willing to throw, he was willing to hold on to it and take the sack. He was willing to throw it away. He just wasn't willing to throw it into harm's way very much.
1: Very much so. I also wonder on that turnover point, and I don't know whether there's any merit to this at all, but when you're going through a scheme change, whether that has anything to do with ability to be as effective this early on. Again, I don't know. Um another thing, like 2 years ago when when Mike Tress was a defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, now that Bearcats team went to the college football playoff. They led the country in takeaways with 34. They also had 6 dudes who were NFL draft picks and a 7th who led the team in picks who's going to be an NFL draft pick. I do think it's an interesting juxtaposition though because if you just look at Wisconsin's roster in terms of kind of high-end pro type of talent, there's not as many of those, at least in my estimation, but that doesn't mean as a college team, you can't be good enough to to force some takeaways. So I don't know what all the reasons are for it. They just know they need to figure something out.
0: I'll also say all the guys that ended up getting drafted out of Cincinnati were not pro material when they showed up in Cincinnati. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were developed. And so just cause you maybe not don't see it on this roster right now, doesn't mean that it can't be developed into that. Cause that's what, they did at Cincinnati. It's why they were so successful. It's not like they were recruiting four and five star guys. They were recruiting lower ranked guys and, and really coaching them up and getting overlooked guys and coaching them up. And so that was, I think another part of why he was hired, why Luke Fickle was hired is because he knows, you know, Chris McIntosh knows that you're not always going to be able to recruit, or you're not going to be able to recruit at a top 10 level every single year. So you have to get a guy who's a really good recruiter, but also a guy that can develop. And I think that's what probably um, they were focused on, but We'll see. I mean, Wisconsin has an opportunity to bounce back against Georgia Southern, a team that's two and zero. Beat UAB forty nine to thirty five this past week. We know what Georgia Southern did last year, going into Nebraska and ending Scott Frost's tenure <laughs> at, at Nebraska. I don't think uh, the Luke Fickle tenure will end if Wisconsin loses this weekend, but it would be uh, a huge hit, a huge hit to them. Um, I know you're working on some other things this week, Darian Varner. Right, you got an opportunity to chat with him for the first time
1: ever. Right. I talk- did he
0: talk in the spring?
1: I talked to him on the phone after he committed, but this is the first time he was made available to the media here since he arrived in January. So he
0: got to travel and played a little bit against Washington State. Wasn't an overly huge impact, but where where is he at?
1: Well, it's interesting because he, he talked about his injury last season. It was a Liz Frank injury in his left foot, and so it happened near the end of the season at Temple. He missed the last two games. He knew once he transferred here, that he was going to miss the spring, but he also called it heartbreaking because that's a really difficult time. You've got all these transfers coming in. It's the most exciting offseason any of us can remember. And he's relegated to just watching from the side. Now, I think it sounds like he did a really good job of staying engaged. But what stood out most to me in my talk with him is that even when preseason practices started, um, he said, I thought I was 100 percent. And then I started watching myself on the film and I realized I'm not 100 percent. I mean, I think you take that for granted sometimes just because a guy is suddenly medically cleared. That doesn't mean he's going to be the player that he was last year. And he said, it felt like it took him until almost the end of preseason practices to get some of that back. I do remember the first play that he had when he got in there, you might recall this as well. It was in Platteville. They were near the goal line and they stuck him in there and he flew off the edge. And if, Tackling was allowed. He might've destroyed the quarterback. And that was a play he said, yeah, I, I definitely remember it because I think that's what he can bring. And that's why Luke Fickle has said he brings this kind of level of explosiveness that is a little bit different from the defensive line, but it's taken him a little bit longer than certainly he would have anticipated to get back into the mix. And I don't know where things go from here. I think it's, it's natural and easy to look at. My God, this guy was a first team all-conference player at Temple last year. He was, he was all over the backfield. You expect it to happen right away here. Well, it's a step up in competition, obviously. Competition even for reps. They played seven defensive linemen in that game, and no one played more than 40 or 41 snaps. I think Geo Pius had the most at 40. Um, so they're rotating a lot of guys, and that can also maybe make it a challenge to break through. But I think we're going to see it at some point from Varner. You don't have the type of season that he did last year without having a lot of talent, and uh, I think it'll translate in some capacity.
0: I think we talked about this in the offseason, but his weight and yeah. what he did in one year at temple and then lost a bunch of weight i think he was playing like 260 last year 265 now he's put that weight back on do you think that impacts whether he can have an impact do you think that impacts whether he has a chance to to make some uh chaos of the backfield at all
1: well i asked him about that too he said he first of all because he wasn't able to run and do a lot he gained some natural weight by not being able to play ball and not being I know about that I get that. <laughs> yeah, they, I think they call that the freshman twenty-five for me, maybe. <laughs> but uh, but he said he's two seventy, 270, two seventy-five. He feels really good. And when I was asking Jake Cheney about it, he said, "I know there are people out there who say he's kind of undersized for a defensive lineman or for what we ask him to do." But um, and maybe that was before he. More when he was at Temple last year, like when he was at 255, 260. He's like, but I don't see it. Um, I mean, he's got he's got everything you need. And he also said that it can be a little bit of a challenge on the defensive line playing in that dollar defense, the things that they ask people to do. And and it's a little bit different from what he did at Temple. So I do think there is a an adjustment period, but from a weight standpoint, now he seems to be at a pretty good place. I did wonder though, when he came came here, like, how are you gonna be effective in the Big Ten if you're 255, 260? Well, you're not, which is why he's now 270,
0: 275. Yeah. Ooh, interesting to see because he's one of those transfers that we were expecting to make an impact at some point, and and we'll see if that uh, comes to fruition for him and the Badgers defense as they get ready to take on George Southern on Saturday morning. We will be back tomorrow, Temple and Heilbron out at Monks and Sun Prairie, 6 to 7. You can listen to it live on Zone Madison. We'll also have the podcast wherever you get yours and then also here on YouTube as well. All right, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp.